Hello, and welcome to Queering Desi. I'm your host, Priya. As a South Asian queer non-binary person, I have learned a lot on my journey of self-acceptance and building community. So in each episode, I will bring you a slice of South Asian LGBTQ life with a guest who exemplifies what it means to be who you are and to live your truth. I like to create a safe and open discussion with our guests and listeners. So if the topics on this podcast are controversial, please know these opinions are of the guest and host, and we don't mean any offense. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Queering Desi listeners. This is Priya. I want to take a moment before we get to the episode to wish you all a happy Pride. All month long, we'll be bringing you brand new episodes and content, so be sure to follow us on social media at Queering Daisy. Hit subscribe on iTunes or catch us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian radio station. We're also happy to announce our first new batch of merchandise. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, tanks, mugs, totes, and more in our online store if you want to rep Queering Daisy out in the world. We have a lot more stories to cover in the coming weeks and months, so we hope you'll consider supporting us, either through our online store or by signing up on our Patreon. You can find out more about both on our website, www.queeringdaisy.com. We appreciate your support always, and we are always open to feedback, so if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us. So without much further ado, let's get to the show. All right. This week on Queering Daisy, I'm so excited to talk to uh, now a friend, but a fan of Queering Daisy, Raj Galra. Hi, Raj. Hi, Priya. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. I'm so glad you reached out. Before we get started, I want you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Hi, I'm Raj Galra. I don't know. What can I tell you about me? I uh, (laughs) am obviously South Asian. My parents are both born and raised in India. I was born here in the U.S., I'm married. I'm a father. I'm a huge fantasy football fan <laughs> and a fan of the podcast, obviously. And um, yeah, just happy to share my story. And, um, you know, I'm from a really big family and big Indian community and kind of the first in my community to at least come out as gay. Who knows? There might be others. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. That's a great introduction, and we're going to dive into all of that. I do want to start, you pointed out just before we started talking that it is Pride Month. Let's open the discussion with talking a little bit about what Pride means to you. Like, you have so many facets of your identity that are being celebrated this month. What does it mean to you just in general in this moment in time and just overall, like, any memories of Pride? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think Pride has a lot going on. You know, I think about, you know, all of the folks— not just the gay community, but across the broader LGBTQ community that have sacrificed, you know, their life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, so that we can have a better life, a better authentic life. This year, my my plan for Pride is to shed light on areas that we still have a long ways to go. And, you know, I think people can feel really like, oh, we're celebrating Pride. It's great. We've reached the end of the race. And um, I think Pride's just, you know, a celebration of the journey. Separate to that, you know, this is the month that I got married. This is the month that I met my now husband. Everything kind of happened in June for me in terms of even really coming out. And it turns into like a month-long celebration of just sharing my story and 
you know, helping inform people of where I've been and where I'm going. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you mentioned like the history aspect of it. I think as I've gotten older, I definitely like am more aware of just like the sacrifices and not only just the history behind it, both in this country and abroad, like to place this moment in time in that timeline is it feels so significant to just be like, I'm just grateful at this time of year. Like, I know that it's a year round thing and I'm very proud <laughs> year round. I'm, I'm privileged to be able to say that. But for me, pride, like I always think back to like my first pride. I think you're from L.A. too, right? Yep. Yeah. So I, I my first pride was Long Beach and I was like closeted at the time and I had to like lie to my parents about where I was going. And I just remember sitting on the sidewalk at the parade and I had bought like all the street vendors come through with like all this gear and I bought like the small beaded rainbow necklace or bracelet and it was like the most like the thing that I knew I could hide when I went back home and I just still think back to that moment of just being this like curious like overjoyed uh, relieved person to be in the midst of such community and so for me it's as painful as some aspects of our history can be and that we should remember those I also remember like a lot of good times and a lot of just community that rallies that that happens all year, but this is just a special pep in our step, you know? Yeah, I think the other thing is, so I've been in New York. This will be um, our third Pride mm. this year. And the first one I always remember because there was kind of a South Asian LGBTQ event mm -hmm. in the city. And, you know, I grew up not really surrounded. Like, I didn't know anyone from you know, my brown community mm. that was gay or, or queer. And, you know, I kind of grew up as the only one. And then even after I came out, I didn't really know anybody either. So I have like all sorts of issues in my intersectionality. And I remember going to this event in the city and just looking at this like sea mm. of LGBTQ brown folks. And I don't know, it was like the first time that I really was like, oh, there are other people that have a shared experience to me, a more holistic shared experience. And uh, my husband, who is quite beige, uh, was with me and he <laughs> he could just see it on my face and he was so happy for me to, for maybe like the first time or one of the first times to see that I had found a community. It was uh, quite moving for me, I would say. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, talk a little bit about that. You mentioned like growing up, like I hate to focus solely on coming out, but like what was it like for you to realize things about yourself and kind of either seek that in the community or realize that there wasn't anyone that looked at you? Like, can you talk a little bit about growing up and kind of maybe just coming out in the mainstream uh, cliche way? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I didn't really officially come out mm. until, gosh, I think I was 25 or 26. Mm. I was 25 going on 26. So I was, it was pretty late for me mm. to kind of like do that official step. You know, I think there were moments growing up where I came out to myself and then felt like this isn't working for me. And then I just kind of went back into a closet or kind of just like tried to push that part of myself as far away from me as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of that has always been a fear of failure in a sense mm. and being quote unquote out and then not seeing people around me to model after or to have a community with and then feel like, oh, this is kind of really lonely. <laughs> I'm going to go back to when I wasn't feeling this lonely. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. So then, you know, if you fast forward to 10 years ago, it was really important to me. Part of it, and I know this probably sounds like a cop-out to folks, was, you know, I had already been dating 
my now husband. And Mm. he was my first real serious relationship. Mm. And I'm very close to my friends and my family friends. And it got to the point after a few weeks, honestly, where I felt like, wow, I can't not share this part of myself. The idea to keep something like a relationship quiet is very like against who I am. So I just kind of did it. And one of uh, my husband's friends who grew up in a town kind of adjacent to where I grew up, he like held my hand as I did it. And Mm. I was really nervous. And, you know, I've told my parents know this, but I packed a bag because, you know, they were helping support where I lived in LA. And, Mm. you know, I really felt like the rug could be pulled out from under me. So I was like, oh, this could go really terribly. And I'm (laughs) have a bag packed in case they're like, you need to leave. (laughs) And um, it could not have gone better. You know, my parents are, I would say, very socially progressive Indians. Mm. They have, like I said, a huge community. And they are very gregarious. They host lots of parties. There's not a lot about them that is culturally conservative, I don't think. And I spoke to them on the phone because I was still in LA. And my dad, who is not easy to bring to tears, (laughs) you know, I always will remember that he started tearing up on the phone. And what he said to me was that he was really sad that he couldn't have provided an environment for me growing up where I would have felt more comfortable figuring this out sooner. And then, of course, I started to cry on the phone and I'm like, this is not how this is supposed to go. (laughs) You know, I had, you know, my shield up and I was ready to just be like, screw you guys, you know, whatever, you know, but that's been my relationship with them, which is I always underestimate them and across whatever is going on. And they always exceed my expectations and, and kind of overwhelm me with their love. And, you know, they subsequently welcomed a then boyfriend, now husband into our family and could not have been more gracious. That's amazing. I mean, it's so moving and to hear stories like this. And I think of my own story as well, because I had a similar situation where I had a bag packed and like a friend on call that I was like, if something goes south, like I will call you, I need to stay somewhere. It always stirs me to hear stories like that for in our community, because I know that it's not a privilege everyone has to have the support of biological families. And so when I hear that, like, I think of all the socialization that goes into, like, that fear and creating that fear in us, even if our parents in particular might be more progressive or more, you know, and I had a similar situation where, my, you know, my dad was, he was more than gracious in terms of he just asked questions and it was this long discussion. Like, it sounds so powerful for you in that moment. And I just, like, for that, Raj, I like, my heart, it, like, goes out because I, I wish that this visibility that, like, we're trying to build now, especially around Pride Month, but just in 2019, like, if there's anything I would be able to, could change or would want to change is that for us to know is okay, because that fear that caused us to pack that bag is, like, so wrapped up in our community as well, you know? Well, yeah, because, you know, if you don't see stories of success, it's easy to be like, oh, there aren't reasons to think it can go well. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the other thing, and, and, and maybe you feel this way as well, my Indian community growing up, I would say the vast majority of them followed a very traditional path, even though they're all very progressive and mm-hmm. wonderful and awesome. But, you know, they all were top of their classes who we went to top schools and then went to yeah. med school and followed a very like 
linear path that mm. kind of everyone does. And so I think it maybe would have been harder on my parents had I followed that path and then deviated in a sense. But for me, I did drama. <laughs> I was loud. I had friends that were just across an entire spectrum of types of people, both racially, socioeconomically, you know, in terms of religion. Like I've never really mm. felt contained by one community. Mm. So I think by the time I came out to them, I don't feel like it was as surprising, if that makes sense. Because I'd spent a whole life rebelling against what the notion of like a good Indian son should be. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I hear that. I mean, I think that that's so much of are growing up like I had a similar experience in terms of like diversity of friends but I definitely like my parents were like super culture like being born here like I learned Hindi really early on almost at the same time as I learned English like we went to the mandir every Sunday you know our mandir group was like our family group was our friends group was so I was really ingrained in that so despite like the successes of the folks around me it's what you said in the beginning right of like not seeing people like you it's actually funny like when I came out in the two-hour discussion that followed with my parents, at least. One of the questions, like, very, like, much later in the conversation was, like, do we know anyone that, like, and I was glad to give examples of folks that by then that were out that I was, like, remember that one person we knew? Like, they're out now. Or, and so I was really careful to make sure to, like, include people that, that were, like, out to their families and there weren't that many, but it still helped them to, like, be able to trace, like, oh, there's more people in the community. And, like, I hope and I think that, like, my coming out did that as well. And we'll get to, like, the wedding stuff because I think even for me, and I'm I'm curious to learn for you, that step even today, years later, was, like, huge for coming out and being kind of that, one of the examples in the community as well. Well, yeah, I had um, one of the guys in this group who I think – either the year I came out or the year after, I I can't remember the timeline quite as much, but I was at a wedding, like a family friend's wedding, and he asked to talk to me after the reception or before the after party. And um, he came up with me to my room because I had to pack because I had an early flight. And I'm like packing and and really focused on the packing. And he's just Mm -hmm. sitting there and, and he came out to me and it was just like, I'm sorry, what? You know, he said that he part of, me coming out and just ha- living so openly in that moment and continuing to live openly and, and just proudly from that moment on kind of helped him decide that, like, that's what he was going to do. You know, I was really touched by that. Brad is my husband. Uh, he has a friend that is a younger friend that is similarly aged. And, you know, we've been, I don't want to say mentors to these two, but in a lot of ways, it's been really nice to have younger gays look to us and see us for our flaws and see that you can really create whatever future you want for yourself. You know, the idea that like what a gay person is, quote unquote, to Indian parents does not have to be, you know, someone wilding out in a club or going in drag or being super promiscuous. It can be any of those things as well. But being queer can really be whatever you want for yourself. So, you know, I think it's been nice for my community to see that I wanted to get married and I wanted to have kids and I didn't want to give that up regardless of what my sexual orientation was. And I think it's been really comforting for some of the parents of some of our friends to say like, oh, 
my son or my daughter can have that too. And it's made just, I don't know, the environment better, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, you know, dating Brad and not having your family know about it. Can you talk about how you guys met? Because I kind of want to hear that. (laughs) So he tells this story much better than I do. I haven't had to tell it. (laughs) I always make him tell this. But um, so we met in line auditioning for American Idol. And yeah, it was about four in the morning in a parking lot in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. (laughs) And um, (laughs) that is kind of our story. Um, It's one of the reasons that unlike most of the country that has stopped watching that show, we are very tied to American Idol um, (laughs) all these years later. And we met in line, we went out from there. And yeah, the rest is history. He got, it was in late June, because we met on June 28th. And um, he, like I said earlier, is, is quite beige. And he, by the end of it, was as sunburnt as I've ever seen a human being. <laughs> and um, I don't think he realized how long we would be outside at the Rose Bowl under direct sun in a lot of cases. And, you know, for people like us, Priya, our people love the sun. And, <laughs> and we have a very good relationship with the sun. So I left so and I just was like, this feels great. I'm <laughs> This is awesome. And then I saw him later and I was like, oh, this is what happens to people when they're in the sun that long. (laughs) So that's how we met. And, um, you know, he uh, was living in Upland at the time and I was living in L.A. And so we did kind of a by L.A. standards, a long distance commute, but it was really like 40 minutes. And um, yeah, later that year in December, his lease was up uh, and his friends that he was living with were moving on to other living situations. And I kind of just was like, you should live with me. (laughs) And he was like, okay. And we've been living together ever since. That's amazing. Wait, how far did you guys go in in that round of American Idol? We didn't make it past the first round, but I like to say that we each got our golden ticket. Oh my God. You really did. (laughs) As cheesy as that is, I will allow it because it's so true. I want to talk a little bit about the wedding aspect. I mean, even if you are a heterosexual in our community, like intercultural or interreligious marriages still in this day and age are not often talked about and can in some circles still be looked down upon. Like, was that a challenge for you? Was that something that came up either just during your courtship or even as you approached like, hey, we want to do like an actual ceremony and things like that? I think we got really lucky in that my family and our family friends, because they're so social and inclined to party, there wasn't really kind of a a push for us to do any part of it a very specific way. Mm. And we really got to cherry pick the best elements of all the weddings we've been to and all the things that were important to us and just kind of create our own hybrid. You know, we'd been Mm -hmm. to a number of Indian weddings, or I'd been to a number of Indian weddings before, where they can start to feel very paint by number, because Mm -hmm. like everything is very similar. That's not to say they're not beautiful and wonderful and a lot of fun. But, you know, one of the things that we really like about weddings is when we can learn more about the couple through the course of that weekend, and not Mm -hmm. feel like the couple is just kind of showing up for the weekend and then leaving (laughs) where we feel like, yeah, you've really learned a lot about them. And, and, you know, we've been to weddings where we left not realizing before that the couple was so charitable Mm. or so generous to their community. And and that's been really awesome. Or we've learned a lot about their families or, or, or something like that. That was a very big focus for us. You know, I think 
I'm going to mess up the number here, but I want to say we had about 200 people, mm. which by the way is like a very small Indian wedding <laughs> for, for those of <laughs> you that don't know that. And, um, <laughs> you know, and it was, I think there was maybe like one couple or, or maybe a few couples that had been to a same sex wedding before. Mm. So for everyone else, it was a first time. So I think there was a little bit of like, what is this all about? So, mm. you know, we wanted to really just showcase those best elements of us. And I knew I've always wanted to get married from when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that kept me closeted for so long was the thought that maybe I wouldn't get to have that if I came out. Mm -hmm. And when we decided to get married, I was like, you know, I really want to send Pete on the Friday. Like I want to have this big party and, you know, I want my brother to MC this and I want, you know, our friends to dance for us as, (laughs) as a couple yeah. Uh, like I loved all the trappings of that mm. and without the religiosity of it, because neither of us right. is very religious. So like we had that, we had a woman doing henna. We had really great Indian food. We used a, a wedding planner that specialized in Indian weddings so that like she would know like where all the great vendors were and, and everything, but then we could dial it down or dial it up however we wanted. So we did that. Um, we had the Sangeet on, on the Friday, but then we weren't going to do any kind of like pre-wedding ceremony things with like welcoming the families and all of that. And we just, you know, we did more of a traditional wedding day where we took pictures before. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted it to feel intimate, even though there were a lot of people there. And so we did our wedding ceremony in the round which I hadn't seen before. You know, I'd only been at weddings, both Western and, and Indian weddings where you're kind of, like in the audience, you know, yeah. watching a stage production. And we wanted to do it in the round so that everyone, our community who had really helped us get to that point could be part of it. And, you know, we had three brothers in my Indian group who dance at all the weddings. We had them dance, but instead of doing it during the Mandy the night before, we had them dance as part of our ceremony because I mentioned American Idol. Music's really important to us. Yeah. And so they kind of kicked off the ceremony, which was great. And, you know, I had said to them, go to town with the music. And they made this great mashup of Bhangra and English music that I like. And, you know, I have saved that mashup that I listened to. And I, so it was a really, it was great because if you look at the pictures, you know, the Indian families that are in the audience are just like appreciating it and just, you know, like they know what's up. And um, the white folks are like, some of them have like their jaws on the ground (laughs) and are just like in awe of these guys dancing because they're awesome. And I don't think most people had been to a wedding ceremony that was, I don't want to say lively because a lot of ceremonies are lively, but um, I don't know, had more of like a concert feel to it, if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. And then, you know, there was a cocktail hour and there was a dinner and we had Indian food at both nights because we love Indian food. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the, I sh- the music at the Mandy was all Indian music. The mm-hmm. music at the reception was English music. But then as people <laughs> started to have more to drink over the course of the night, there were a lot of requests like, can you play more Indian music? So we did that and, and that was it. And then everyone went away and we had a big after party um, with our friends that stuck around. And, and then we had brunch with them the next morning. So it was a pretty... There were elements of both that we loved. Yeah, it sounds like a great amalgamation of like all the things that highlighted you as a couple and 
celebrated you as I think a lot of weddings start out or intend to be and tend to kind of get wrapped up in a, in a lot of other stuff too. Yeah. I, and you know, the best part about it, I think for me was I can't remember a point in that weekend that I felt stress and that wasn't because we had a wedding planner doing everything, but we had tailored the weekend and the wedding to minimize as much stress as possible. We tried to do everything from making sure the clothes and the expenses for the people in the wedding were as minimal as possible because Mm. I think many folks have been in weddings where they're just like, why are we having to spend this much for a wedding that's not ours? And (laughs) so we tried to be like very conscious of that so that people could just have fun and not be thinking about money all the time. And um, Brad and I have things that that we each value as kind of like our own part of our own brand. And so he wanted to be in charge of the bar and he was, and I picked out every single piece of music that was played over the course of that weekend. And we hired a DJ that I felt really comfortable with. And I was able to give him many, many hours of music and just say, you do what you're so good about doing and DJing. And, but here's this library for you to play with. It's a sandbox that you can play within this and not touch any music that's not in this sandbox so you know at no point did I ever hear something that would have triggered a oh why is he playing this and so for me that just like kept me sane through the whole weekend yeah that's amazing I mean I'll share a little bit about what my wedding because I haven't talked about it on the show yet but I feel some kinship with you on that but we did kind of end up doing so my wife and I had a destination wedding in Cancun and part of that was not only did we have the privilege of doing that and the and being able to travel, like there were like immigration issues. We wanted people to come from all over the world. And so it seemed to be like this great option for us of like it actually ended up being a little more fiscally feasible for us and our families. But we had a small gathering of about 40 people total. And it was so interesting because so my wife is Ismaili Muslim. And so we can't have a nikah under her faith. But my parents are like, raised me Hindu, and I know they believe in all these rituals. And despite being out for so many years, like, they did have this idea of, like, you know, daughter's wedding and all these things. So through the year of, like, planning, they pretty much stayed out of it. Like, they let us kind of do their own our own thing. And I think they were even surprised that we ended up doing a much more, like, Hindu-ish kind of ceremony. And, of course, a lot of things in Hindu Indian ceremonies are like very gendered. So we were really focused on making sure that like we didn't do like a kanyadan for just like one person or at all. So we didn't do that at all. And we didn't do like so we knew we wanted to dress in Indian clothes. And so I wanted to wear something more masculine. And so I know that that was like another hurdle for my family of like just like what is this going to look like? We had a mandap. We actually found like a Hare Krishna priest in Mexico to do the wedding, which was kind of funny. But we had this like on the beach, like 40 person, really intimate ceremony. And like very similarly, we did like a Sangeet the night before. We did a reception right after. And I think what was the best part about our thing is what you said about like creating that intimacy because we got all our people in a resort for like three days and we still do reunions with that group, like people who didn't know each other before. So I love that like we as a couple got to spend time with everyone, like relaxed. It was almost like a vacation for everyone. And then also there was these like there were these ceremonial things, but really the whole weekend was about just like relaxing and getting to know each other and celebrating each other, which I think overall, like I look back on that. It went so fast. Like part of me is like, man, I wish I had more time to like, 
sit and like enjoy that it went so fast but it was so much fun and I think just the idea of like growing up like similarly I had this idea that I would get married and it did hold me back of like can I be this desi and also gay because what if I don't get that like big Bollywood wedding that you know we're we're, yeah we grew up like envisioning and like we did a Bharat then we did like a Haldi the morning of and we ended up doing all these things that I realized like I really like not only just was socialized to want like I really wanted them and I never thought that I could have and yet here was my family my extended family all our friends like going through the motions with us and it was yeah I think like for me as someone that envisioned that never being possible, having it be almost so traditional, but yet very us was so, it was mind blowing. Like even now I think it's it's not even been a year, but we I'm still blown away that that happened and and that we were able to do that and that we had like family support and all those things that, and the privilege of doing all of that. I just don't see it very often, you know? I didn't, I know of like a handful of lesbian friends or queer friends or even gay men who who have done like, Indian weddings. But I, when it comes to females, especially, or, or non-binary folks or anything, like, I don't see that as much as I see a handful of gay men. And with your wedding, I think what was so beautiful was this cultural aspect of, like, not only do the photos look amazing, oh, <laughs> but, like, just this idea of, like, now hearing about it, the idea of, like, celebrating you and your culture and Brad and kind of bringing that together in your own way. Yeah, we just don't see it a lot. So I appreciate you sharing, and I wanted to share a little bit about mine because it's just not something we hear or see very often. Yeah, and you know, I think the other part of it is we try to, at every point, acknowledge or wink at the fact that this would be people's quote-unquote first same-sex wedding. And so, like, we had one of our best friends be the officiant for the wedding, and, you know, she is Black, her family is from the islands and even in our save the date we're you know we acknowledged two interracial men getting married by a black woman <laughs> is happening <laughs> and how hilarious that we have to even acknowledge those differences are so you know we did stuff like that or we our first dance was a whole new world which is our like Brad and I duet a lot <laughs> and um, that's like our favorite duet and we played around with like a lot of role playing to say like you might think that you know, Raj would insist on being Aladdin, but actually he only sings Jasmine's parts. Um, yeah. So it's like, don't assume that because I'm older or I, I was further along in my career at the time that I am always the alpha in my relationship. Mm-hmm. Or don't assume because Brad's white that he's the alpha in the relationship. And so yeah. it's been interesting. The interracial part of the relationship has been in some ways trickier to navigate than Mm. the same sex part of the relationship. And why do you say that? Can you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, we've just always been very good at negotiating who has to do what from a gender standpoint to say like, you know, there aren't traditional roles for us to fall into. Like in my family's household, my mom does the cooking and my mom does the cleaning and my dad does the bills. And it's like very like a fifties way of thinking about delegation of duties and Mm. we don't do that because we both have to figure out who's going to do things that just need to get done so like you know I always joke that I've never really seen my dad take out the trash but someone has to do it in our house and so we both do it the interracial part of it has always been interesting because I was a 
a year or so into my career when I met Brad. And, you know, I always say like the first time I really felt like my dad was proud of me was when I got out of school and got hired at the first media company I worked at. And, you know, like I was starting to get a paycheck and I was like on my own a lot. And I I remember feeling that pride from him and he had like a year or so of, of me being very independent. And then he met Brad and we started dating and little things that I always handled because Brad is white. My dad just started to assume he would know more. So like one of the responsibilities I have at home is I'm the one that kind of deals with if we need to get a plumber or we need to deal with the super to get something fixed. You know, like I'm that that one that handles all that. I might not know how to do it personally, (laughs) but I am the one that is responsible for just like getting the problem fixed. So very early on, if my parents saw, I don't know, something going on in our home, for example, they would talk to Brad about like, oh, how are you going to deal with this? Are you getting this fixed? And like, they would, they like would always go to him for like the traditional man things. Mm. And um, I would be like, I work on that. (laughs) That's me, your son that has been doing this. (laughs) And we have um, an interracial friends that are Indian and white, but male, female, and the wife is like a very successful doctor and is an incredible female and is so independent and, and fierce and all of that. And um, when I met her, I was like, have you noticed this thing now that you're with uh, her now husband that your parents are like deferring to him more because he's the white one? And she was like, it happens to me all the time. And so it's been something that's been like a shared joke among my Indian friends that are in interracial relationships with white guys specifically, (laughs) um, that we have lost some of the agency we had before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting, right? Like, I guess I take it for granted because Rima and I have a lot of like cultural things in common, even though we're from different regions of India. But well, for us, it's a lot more about gender, like not so much just the same sex thing, but like the idea of like, who's the man, you know, and I do dress more masculine. So folks assume that. But like, for example, like at the wedding, like Rima really did not want Mandy and I wanted a lot. So like I booked the Mandy artist for like four hours and she got like half an hour, you know, and like people were like, oh, that's weird. I'm like, that's not weird. Like, that's just who we are, like yeah. as people. So it's interesting to hear. I mean, I'm sure there's like a whole theoretical and likely colonial background to like the treating the white person that way. But that's so interesting, like that that's a commonality among you, like beyond the same sex thing. Like that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a serious problem. I, yeah, no, it was more like an annoyance when it first started. And now I just, I just find the humor in it. So anytime something like that happens, like when I'm cut out of a conversation, (laughs) I'll just be like, I guess I'm going to go upstairs (laughs) or like, (laughs) I I guess you don't need me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think hearing about all of this is helpful for just for each of us, but to all the people listening, the stories of families coming together beyond all identities and and seeing all those identities is so important. So thank you for sharing that. I also want to hear about parenting. I mean, it's rare as we talk about visibility of weddings in the South Asian LGBTQ community. I think parenting is even more rare and not that it doesn't exist. It's just not something I see a lot of except for social media here and there. Talk a little bit about your experience. Like it's something you mentioned you always wanted. But yeah, can you share a little bit about what that's been like? Yeah, even more than getting married and being a husband. You know, I've wanted to be a dad since, I don't know, maybe I was 17 or 18. And 
one of the things that Brad and I talked about on our very first date was our love for like wanting to be parents Mm -hmm. because something about me is that I don't really like to waste time. (laughs) And that was such a deal breaker for me. So if he had been, and there are a lot of men in the, in the gay community who, and there's no judgment here, who just, who don't have an interest in being parents and that's fine. But had Brad said at that on that first date, I don't really want kids. You know, we could have been like, thanks. This has been a lovely dinner. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure we can be friends. And, you know, we both really wanted that and grew up wanting that. He has three siblings. I have a younger brother, but I have a big family, extended family. So part of it was just having a big family of our own or starting that. So I feel quite lucky to have found someone that has a shared interest in that. So we, you know, when we were engaged, we started to think about it and start to plan for what we wanted to do. And, you know, there are a number of ways we could have come to parenting, right? We could have gone with a surrogate. We could have adopted domestically. We could have adopted internationally. We could have done it the old fashioned way with a friend and (laughs) pros and cons to all of it and decided to adopt from the U S you know, I think for our first child, we really wanted to have a healthy baby, which I know is a privilege not everybody has. And for all of the drawbacks to adoption domestically in terms of the rights and the red tape and and all of that, one of the things that we were going to get if we adopted from the US was greater transparency to the health of the child. Mm -hmm. And we put a lot of value in that. So we decided to do that. And there's a lot of details about the adoption that I'm happy to go into. But, you know, one of the things we said was, we don't want to be parents until we're married. We felt like Mm. very strongly about that from a, maybe a tradition, like what's traditional or or whatnot. Mm. So, you know, we talked to the company that we were using that was like a a facilitator and they helped Mm. match prospective parents with birth parents and they specialize in LGBTQ adoptions. So we felt really good about it. Mm. So, you know, they had said, look, you guys have a lot about you that is going to be appealing to like a birth mother. You are interracial. You don't care about the gender of the baby. You both have graduate degrees. He works in education. I work in media. You know, we had a lot of boxes that someone could look at our profile and latch onto something. So the record that that company had at the time was three weeks. So we said, okay, we will put our profile up two weeks before the wedding because we're not going to beat that record. And that way we'll be married and then we'll get matched. (laughs) And then we can go about everything. And we felt really good about it. So then we got married and we left for the honeymoon the next day and it was an, like a red eye to Provincetown for our honeymoon, which sidebar was like the best choice we made in terms of where oh to go. God, really? I will sidebar with that once I finish this little anecdote. Yeah. We um, took the red eye, got to Provincetown, were very sleep deprived because we didn't sleep well and on the ferry and, and whatnot. And we um, were at this outdoor beer garden. And I said to Brad, the only way I could be happier is if we got a call from lifelong that we had been matched and within 15 minutes we got that call oh my gosh it was the most surreal 
experience and you know we had had a little bit to drink <laughs> and um another thing to know about me is i have a really hard time not answering my phone i've gotten mm-hmm. much better about it so we got a phone call from an unknown number but it was the area code of where lifelong the headquarters is located so i saw it and i excused myself from the bar to be like i should take this call which by the way was a weird thing to do on on your honeymoon <laughs> and um and then i stepped outside he was still at the bar and you know, I picked up and our person, like the person that was working with us was like, Hey, what's going on? And like, we're on our honeymoon, but I thought I should pick up this call. And she said, a birth mother has selected you and Brad. And I had to hold on to something because it felt so surreal that this was happening. And uh, I went back in and I told Brad, and then we did this whole thing where I was like, the only way I could be happier is if we had a million dollars, but all of our luck had gone into getting that phone call. So (laughs) Um, we don't have a million dollars. Um, and <laughs> so then we we left the bar. We took a little bit of time to kind of sober up. And we had our first call with our son's now birth mom. And it was amazing. At every fork in the road where it could have been easy or hard, we feel very lucky to say it went the more easy route. You know, we mm-hmm. lived in California. She ended up being in Southern California. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have to really travel she was doing it for the right reasons and she's amazing and she really changed our life for the better. And I, we don't talk to her often, but when I do, I'm always very mindful of the sacrifice she made and, and I do what I can to express, you know, our gratitude to her Mm. because if not for her, who knows where the trajectory of the last five years would have gone. Mm. And, um, Yeah, so now we are trying to adopt again, and we are in search of an elusive birth parent. And, you know, I could go into the second adoption, but the thing about the first one, it was like the first time in our South Asian community, I think, that someone had adopted. Certainly the first time a same-sex couple had adopted. Mm. So, you know, again, you never know how that will be received But, you know, again, like my coming out, I don't think the community of people around me could have welcomed this situation any better. Mm. They took in our son as if he was biologically our own, just like we did. Everyone has loved on him and treated him like he is the same part of the community he would have been if he had been our biological child. And he really is, my parents could not be more doting on him as grandparents. <laughs> and, and so he gets the full grandparent treatment. And yeah, I mean, he is now experiencing some like weird blended cultural stuff from them and from us. And mm-hmm. he'll go to their house for a week or a weekend or whatever and come back. And he'll be like, you know, Papa, I did puja with daddy. And I'm like, <laughs> you did what with who? <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, he's so proud of learning like little cultural bits and pieces, you know, Mm. he can't distinguish between different foreign languages a lot. And so we'll be listening to different music and he'll be like, are you listening to Hindi music? And I'll be like, (laughs) no, this is Spanish, (laughs) but here's a great Bhangra song. And he just, he loves to dance and he wants to learn how to like play dole. And I don't know, this kid is going to be much more cultured than I probably was growing up. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god that sounds amazing what is your favorite part of being a parent I think 
it's just seeing life through his eyes in a way that I didn't experience, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and being silly. Brad and I obviously love each other. We're in a great <laughs> relationship. But, you know, I'm the silly one of the two of us. And, mm-hmm. you know, I see more of me and our son than I see in anybody else. So it's nice to have a little bit of a mini-me who mm-hmm. is hot-tempered like <laughs> I am, who loves all types of music, stuff that he shouldn't really be listening to as well. <laughs> I think like if he had it his way, he would be laughing all the time. And I share that with him. So it's been really nice to do that. And there are days where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I have common parenting stresses and, and freakouts. And, but it's great. And we get to model, you know, in the same way that our wedding was a first for a lot of people, showing that two men can parent a child and do that well, and and have all the warts associated with being parents as well, attributed to that, is something that I take on very seriously, you know, the representation piece of this. And I don't mean that just to a South Asian community, but, you know, even in the school that he goes to, we're the only same-sex parents in the school. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably less common in Manhattan, but in Queens, I'm not really surprised that that's the case. So Mm -hmm. just giving visibility to other kids so that they can see that and it's not unusual to them, you know? And yeah, I guess the modeling piece of this has been wonderful. That's amazing. I can't wait to meet him (laughs) because he sounds wonderful. We do have to wrap up soon, but I will end with a question that I ask all my guests. And I mean, there's so much that, that I've learned from talking to you, but I would love to know what advice you would give to your younger self. And that can be in whatever form that means for you. It could be a day ago, a year ago, a different timeline, like anything. What, what advice would you give? Well, what I would tell the day ago me would be to not eat that bagel that I had that morning. Um, <laughs> but advice for my younger self, I think this is probably stuff that previous guests have also said in some iteration. But you know, I would say cheesy things like it will get better. Mm-hmm. I would say things like hoe it up. Uh, <laughs> no, and, and this could be a whole separate conversation about how sexuality is presented from Indian parents versus other mm-hmm. like, Western parents and, and the impact that has on children growing up and, and making them less sexual. But I would, I would just say like, enjoy yourself as an, as a kid and mm-hmm. be comfortable in your body and don't feel like because you're the brown one in a sea of white kids that your body doesn't have value. Mm. You know, I posted, I think, on my Facebook recently about the actor that's playing Aladdin in the, in the live action movie in theaters yeah. and how I grew up not having a standard of beauty that was anything but white mm. and how that impacted how I f- saw my own self-worth and how I then projected that in terms of the guys that I was interested in. And it's taken a lot for me to unpack that to say like, brown bodies are beautiful. (laughs) Mm, And so I would just reinforce that message to a younger me to say, your body has value, your face has value, just because you're not white doesn't mean you're not beautiful. Mm. And I think the trajectory of my life would have been very different had I actually thought that about myself growing up. Mm. That's really bleak. So maybe I should have ended with that bagel comment. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's, to- it's not bleak. It's it's real. I mean, I think that that's such a valid point. That isn't something that's brought up a lot in general. And I think it's so valid. I mean, for any and all body types, it's not it's it's also sexuality and seeing ourselves in terms of 
race and gender and all those things, but like body types, like I've grown up fat most of my life. Like I don't think we talk enough about the Indian auntie comments or the, you know, when it comes to like facial hair for women or, you know, things like that. Like I feel like just our bodies are kind of like this in a, such a collectivistic culture. In South Asian culture specifically, though, they tend to be like almost like people ha- pretend like they can assert authority over your body and and how you're supposed to carry it and present yourself. And I think I also would have grown up differently had I believed in my inner self more than just how I looked or how I was presenting myself and not taken some of those comments and things to heart. So to make that my own, like, I think that's relevant across the board for folks and and they can take what they want from it. But I don't think that's like, I think that's true. I think that's true for a lot of us. Yeah, no, I I agree. And, you know, I think, and I said this in that post that, you know, everyone kind of deals with their version of this growing up, but in the Mm -hmm. LGBTQ community, I do think it is, can be exponentially worse. And I, and I kind of told a story about how when apps like Grindr came out, you, you can go onto an app like Grindr and you can see profiles that explicitly say no Asians or no Indians. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you don't have that inner self-worth from having grown up feeling confident, that can really shake you as an adult. And I remember being in my 20s just being like, like just feeling so terrible because you know, I already didn't have a solid foundation growing up. And then to be like kind of in that phase where I'm learning about myself and and trying to figure out where I belong in in this queer world, to see so many people just openly flaunting that, you know, I think it would have been less hard for me if I had had that at an earlier age. But we have it now. So that's what counts for you. (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah, no, it's changing. I mean, I think that just to yeah, leave it on a little bit of an optimistic note. I mean, I think it would have been great to have. But that's why our conversations and and so many conversations that are happening now that didn't happen then are so important because it is changing and it can change more. And there's still a lot more work to do. But that's why we're here. That's what we're here for. And if we can make it better for even just one person that's coming after us, like I will consider it a win for all of us. Totally. Okay, we do have to go. I feel like I could talk to you for ages. Um, But where can our listeners follow you on social media? Yeah, so I, like everyone else, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, you can find me at at Raj Online, R-A-J Online. Or on Instagram, it's the, and then my full name, Rajan Kalra. But they're kind of, I think they're linked. So you might be able to just find one and then find the other. And I mean, the brand is really dogs and pictures of my son and thirsty pictures of guys. And, and okay. the brand is strong. Yeah. And Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> fair, fair. Thank you so much, Raj. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your experiences. Um, it's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. And, and as a fan of the show, it's really important. So I'm, I'm glad to be a fan first. Well, thank you, Raj. And we'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye, Priya. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and to make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Queering Daisy. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please feel free to reach us on social media or drop us an email at queeringdaisy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.